Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, January 30th. How widespread is foreign interference in the Canadian political system and how do we address it? We get details on the first day of the public inquiry into foreign interference with Wesley Wark, senior fellow from the Centre for International Governance Innovation. A recent study says Alberta oil sands pollution is up substantially higher than reported by energy producers. So what's behind the underestimation and what does it mean for our province? We tackle the topic with Janetta McKenzie, acting director of the oil and gas program at the Pembina Institute. And finally, to help combat the rise of hate crimes, Canadians are being offered a unique opportunity to visit mosques, community centres and coffee shops to meet with Muslim residents. We hear details on Calgary's inaugural Coffee and Islam campaign with Akbar Ali, Vice President of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Youth Association of Calgary. Well, yesterday, the long-awaited public inquiry into foreign interference in Canadian politics began on Parliament Hill. Joining us to discuss the issue and what can we expect from the inquiry is Wesley Wark, Senior Fellow from the Centre for International Governance Innovation. Good morning to you, Wesley. Good morning. Before we get to the uh, takeaways from that first day of the inquiry, let's talk about the, the timing. Uh, in, in the introduction, Wesley, I said long-awaited. This seems like a big deal. Why was there such a wait to get the ball rolling on this inquiry? Uh, well, I guess we'd have to roll back the story a bit to um, the previous uh, effort to uh, investigate foreign interference, which was um, uh, handed over to a special rapporteur, as he was called, David Johnson. And uh, Mr. Johnson's uh, tenure as special rapporteur came to a kind of abrupt end as a result of um, you know, political wrangling about uh, whether he was sufficiently independent in his judgments and so on. So. In essence, the process had to start again uh, after he resigned his position. There was an entire summer devoted to backroom negotiations between the political parties to try and come up with some new formula for a judicial inquiry. It was finally announced as going forward in uh, September. And the, the inquiry, as inquiries do, took, took time to kind of get set up and get security clearances and assemble teams of lawyers and so on. So now... We've arrived uh, in late January at the uh, stage where the inquiry is finally uh, holding its first week of public hearings on a very specific topic, which has to do with uh, the challenges of secrecy. So, Leslie, let's break down then. Uh, Wesley, sorry, I was looking at a different word here. Let us break down first the major takeaways from the first day of the inquiry, please. Well, it was it was kind of judicial inquiry 101. I, I'd say not not to be unfair to uh, commission counsel who who uh, provided most of the presentations during the day. Uh, a, a conversation led by commission counsel about the nature of judicial inquiries and, and how they operate and and the you know, characteristics of them. And then in the afternoon, uh, a presentation by a, another commission counsel, which really dived into the the question of what is the nature of classified information and how might the commission deal with it and i think that the you know the biggest news that came out of that afternoon presentation was that the commission was finding that in terms of the relevant intelligence and information that they needed to have from the government that a very high proportion of that was extremely highly classified at the top secret or above top secret uh, level so the indication coming away from day one is that the challenge of secrecy, that is the challenge of, of having the Commission be transparent in its, um, in its presentation of evidence to, to the participants in the inquiry and to the public, is, is going to be a very high challenge. 
And that's the interesting part of all of this. And by the way, we're speaking with Wesley Wark, Senior Fellow for the Center for International Governance Innovation. Wesley, is the fact that the public wants answers. If we don't see this transparency, isn't the optics a good part of an inquiry like this? How do we get around that? Well, I think everybody's agreed that, that um, answers are, are the goal, uh, including the government of, of Canada, as, as well, of course, the opposition parties who, who wanted to see this judicial inquiry uh, set up. So it, it's really a matter of, of navigating uh, and finding the right balance between protecting secrets uh, that are important to Canada and Canada's national security and finding means to be able to provide enough information about um, you know, what the government knew about foreign interference and in the first phase of the inquiry is really devoted to a question that David Johnson, a special rapporteur, already covered, which is the question of uh, the nature of attempts by foreign governments to interfere in the 2019 and 2021 federal elections. That's the first phase of the inquiry. Whether it will come up with anything new that David Johnson didn't unearth remains to be seen. I think the most important aspect of the inquiry's work is going to come in its uh, so-called phase two, where it will proceed from a sort of fact, um, fact-finding fact exercise into a policy exercise and, and try and come up with some um, findings and recommendations for the government about how it can improve its ability to deal with foreign interference uh, going forward, uh, democratic interference, not just to elections, but in general to Canadian society. Wesley, where does it all end up? What, what role do you envision this inquiry ultimately playing in shaping Canada's response to foreign interference moving forward into the years ahead? Well, it, it'll be one one part of a, a kind of multifaceted, I, I suppose, uh, outcome. There will be, you know, whatever recommendations the judicial inquiry comes up with in terms of, of instruments to deal with foreign interference. There will be measures taken by the government itself uh, prior to the next election. We're also waiting on two independent reviews being conducted by uh, the external review bodies, the National Security Intelligence Review Agency and the National Security Intelligence Committee of Parliamentarians. So there'll, there'll be a lot of um, there'll be a lot of information and recommendations in the public domain ultimately that the government is going to have to respond to. Very interesting. I know that as Canadians, we're very interested to find out what will come out of this election. Mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of a big deal. So we appreciate the update. Thanks so much, Wesley. My pleasure. Great to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. Wesley Wark, Senior Fellow at the Centre for International Governance Innovation. Online, it's CIGIOnline.org. And a recent study saying Alberta oil sands pollution is much higher than the industry is reporting. And according to a new study published in the journal Science last week, emissions from Alberta's oil sands are significantly higher than we are led to believe. Joining us to talk about it, the issue and what it means for our province is Janetta McKenzie, Acting Director of the Oil and Gas Program at the Pembina Institute. Good morning to you, Janetta. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning. Can you tell us a little bit about the Pembina Institute to begin? Absolutely. We are a clean energy think tank based. Uh, our headquarters are in Calgary, but we have offices all over the country and we're working uh, for a clean energy future in Canada. I'm wondering if you can break down these numbers, Janetta, how high they are and uh, why they've been underestimated up until this point. Yeah, absolutely. So this was an aerial survey over the oil sands. It was about 30 flights over 17 oil sands operations in 2018 and partially funded by Environment and Climate Change Canada to kind of, so there is this 
this uh, sort of base of knowledge that maybe we were underestimating some of these emissions. They were looking at a whole spectrum of air polluting emissions and found that those, those types of emissions from oil sands operations are much higher than what reporting and measurement requirements for oil sands facilities are currently catching. So these pollution-causing gases, and the, the study wasn't focused on carbon dioxide, but other pollution-causing gases from the oil sands, uh, they found were 20 to 64 times higher than what's been in uh, industry reports. It is, like, you know, it's really important to note there aren't rules being broken here, but what this really speaks to is an issue in the rules and regulations if what is being reported is so much lower than what is actually being emitted. Have you had any response from those, you know, in the oil and gas industry in terms of, you know, not really, you know, necessarily believing what was found or maybe disputing it somehow, some way? Yeah, I mean, I think the next step from a study like this is for regulators to, to take these findings back and think of ways that they can improve the, the monitoring and the reporting rules and regulations. This obviously speaks to a pretty big gap. Um, but again, like there, there isn't a rule being broken here by oil sands facilities. It's just, you know, what we are requiring from them is clearly not catching uh, what is actually happening on the ground. And these are, you know, these are ultimately costs that companies aren't currently bearing. They're not, uh, these pollutants aren't being uh, included in environmental impact assessments or regulatory assessments. And we need improvements in those rules in order to ensure that we have a clearer picture of the emissions in oil sands operations and to ensure that companies pay to clean up the pollution from their own operations. Spending time this morning with Janetta McKenzie, Acting Director of the Oil and Gas Program at the Pembina Institute. And Janetta, I, I think when you hear numbers like these, you, you need some perspective. And it's fine to say where we are in our nation, where we've been, where we would like to be. But how do we compare to other nations when it comes to, you know, uh, pollution of, of, of this type? Do we have some numbers and stats on that? Yeah, well, it is interesting. You know, Canada's oil sands are kind of unique, um, you know, in the world as a, as a type of resource. So that is, I think, what is important to take from this study is it is a study of Canadian oil sands. I'll point you to some other uh, emissions that we know are underestimated, not just in Canada, but globally, which is uh, methane from oil and gas operations. This is another another type of emit of emission that we know is being quite underestimated. Um, and we use estimates to build our, our inventory of that, but it's quite a bit lower than what we see when, again, we go out and we conduct these direct measurement campaigns. And these, these types of underestimations are not just a problem in Canada. They are a problem globally. They're a problem in the United States. They're a problem in the, in the European Union. So Canada is certainly not alone uh, in, you know, building an inventory from imperfect information, but that, uh, that doesn't mean we can take some steps to fix it. Uh, Janetta, we had a texter just uh, message us and say, did, did you say it was from 2018? You referenced something from 2018, but this is also, this is a new study we're talking about, correct? Oh, yes, absolutely. This is a new study just published, but the actual flights over the operations took place in 2018. It can take some time from data collection to publication of uh, academic. So could things have changed dramatically since then till now? I mean, obviously, this is, you know, almost now six-year-old data. I think it's unlikely that things have dramatically changed, but obviously more data and more recent data uh, always helps us build a better picture. So additional studies like this would go a long way to helping us uh, paint that picture. Thanks for bringing this to our attention, Janetta. We appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Janetta McKenzie, Acting Director of the Oil and Gas Program at the Pembina Institute.
To combat the rise of hate crimes, Canadians are being offered a very unique opportunity to visit mosques, community centres and coffee shops to meet with Muslims. It's a program called Coffee and Islam. It's a brilliant idea. It's kicking off in Calgary February 3rd. There's been a lot of interest. Joining us to explain the program is Akbar Ali, who's the Vice President of the Amadea Muslim Youth Association of Calgary. Hi, Akbar. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Sue. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be a part of this program. It's a daily staple for us here in Calgary, so happy to share about this. Yeah, tell us a little bit about it, Akbar. You know, we'll get into the program and then we can talk the background as well, but sort of how, how does the program Coffee and Islam work? Absolutely. So just like you mentioned, um, Coffee and Islam is a nationwide program uh, campaign launched by the Ahmadiyya Muslim Youth Association. And just like you said, it's to combat some of those misunderstandings or perhaps uh, stereotypes and myths that um, Canadians might have. And we want to give our fellow Canadians and Calgarians an opportunity to have a platform to come and chat with us. And, and so essentially, you uh, go to www.coffeeandislam.ca. Um, you can sign up there and we'll have someone be in touch within 24 hours to have a time set up uh, and a place set up for a sitting and it can be in a cafe um they can be in a mosque we actually also have uh, an event happening at the mosque and so that'll be really interesting and already all across the country from the west coast to the east coast we have um different settings already done there's about 30 you know programs scheduled across the country and already hundreds of uh, one-on-one sittings um, happening in our you know coffee shops across the country so we're super excited to to have these uh, going on and really excited to bring that here to Calgary. Jack Bar, you Sue mentioned that there has been a lot of interest so how does an event like this work can you just roll up and and pop in or do you have to register ahead? So it'd be awesome if they registered ahead and if, if you're coming to the mosque on February 3rd it's called the Bet Noor Mosque which also happens to be the largest mosque in Canada so um, a lot of people already come by and they can pop in whenever they'd like, but um, it'd be nice if they registered before, but if you come to the mosque that day, you can by all means just come by and say, hey, I, want, I was interested in this program and we'll be happy to chat. How do they register then, Akbar? Is there a website or an email or, or what are you asking for people to do? Yeah, so you can go to www.coffeeandislam.ca and you're just given like, a bit of information on where you live and someone will get in touch with you within 24 hours. Incredible. So, so what sort of, uh, you know, I know that this is kind of an open forum, and is it just to invite conversation? What sorts of things go on in a meeting like this? For sure, and um, I'm really glad you asked that, Andy, because um, it, it is it is just an excellent medium, I think, for us to build those bridges of understanding that are so, you know, so important, especially nowadays with everything we're seeing. And, um, you know, there's, there's often um, misunderstandings that come up, um, about what Islam teaches and already for example the conversations that we've been having and we've been getting some great feedback from uh, Canadians who did this across the country is you know sometimes they'll learn about oh you know these are these are the similarities between Islam and you know maybe my my religion which might be you know Christianity or whatever it might be or maybe my beliefs about how something should operate and there's um, there's a lot more common ground we end up realizing there is than the differences that uh, that maybe become uh, magnified, and so especially when it comes to um, given given you know the context of this, uh, the rise of hate crimes that we're seeing, and that's not just for for you know Muslims, it's just you know everything that's going on in the world right now. Um, I think there's a really important need 
to have some sort of platform where we can have discussions and talk more about our common grounds and actually learn from, you know, someone who is a practicing Muslim or an adherent of a faith to actually learn from them directly. Mm-hmm. And I think it's been a great opportunity for us as well to learn about others. So it's been it's been excellent. It is excellent. I mean, that's the only way we can move forward and get past a lot of this is, is by talking and understanding each other, right? Have you have you kind of participated, Akbar, in, in this sort of thing yourself? Because I'm curious what kind of response you get after you've had a coffee with someone who got some answers and a little more understanding, perhaps. So actually, we're rolling this out in Calgary now, but of course, I've been participating in things like this all the time in the past. Um, and now, you know, now that this campaign has launched, um, we have the appointments coming in and we have them all the way up until before February 3rd and after February 3rd as well whenever so obviously we want to give that ease to Canadians so we're excited to do those but anytime we have an opportunity to have these forms of discussions it is always very very um, warming I like to to use that word because you end up finding like I was saying those uh, you strengthen those ties of friendship and it's, it's nowadays it's all about you know, when we turn on, you know, the TV, it's all about division and, and extremism. But you end up realizing that most people don't actually uh, think that way, and we we are able to find those common grounds. So anytime I've had these conversations, it's been uh, it's been excellent. Where you know we we learn so much about each other, and um, he, everyone goes home obviously with a nice coffee, which I could definitely use right now as well. And and um, ha- having having some snacks, you, you can't go wrong with that, right? So. Is it an age-dependent thing, Akbar? Can I, you know, I bring some of my, if I have kids and I don't have childcare, can I bring them by? Oh, absolutely. This is great for families. Uh, our mosque is, uh, is great for families where you can come and, um, you know, you can do that and, and, and have an opportunity to chat with even families, per se, if you accept the arrangement you'd like to see. And maybe that way the kids can kind of hang around with other uh, kids in the families. And uh, if at cafes, it works the same way as well. So Absolutely. I love that uh, you, you've got it scheduled for February 3rd, 12 to 4, at the Baton Noor Mosque. As you said, biggest mosque in Canada. Pretty impressive that we have it here in Calgary. Uh, 4353, 54th Avenue Northeast, by the way. But, um, Akbar, so if, if people can't make the Feb 3rd or you're all kind of booked up, are there other opportunities then? Yes, absolutely. So if you register online on coffeeinislam.ca, you'll actually uh, be able to find whatever you know if you if you have if that date doesn't work for you then we'll accommodate that because our priority is you know if throughout the week we have lots of volunteers who are really excited and ready to ready to go and if it's before or after anytime later on you know throughout mm-hmm. the coming weeks we're accommodating that to actually provide that flexibility because it's very important to us as muslims to be at the forefront of dispelling those misconceptions because you know if someone has a wrong understanding of who i am then it's, you know, partly uh, part of it is my job to actually try to, you know, explain what it is that I actually believe, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and unfortunately, the, just the wrong side gets um, very highlighted in, 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 in when we turn on the TV. Yeah. But um, I think this is a great chance to do that. Yeah. So we're really excited to accommodate those schedules of, uh, of everyone, however it works best. Yeah, it's all through conversation. Thank you so much for your time, Akbar. We appreciate it. No, thank you so much. Really appreciate you guys having me, and uh, we were really excited to have our fellow Calgarians join, and yeah. uh, excited to see, meet them through the Coffee and Islam campaign. Absolutely. Thank you. That is uh, Akbar Ali, Vice President, Ahmadiyya Muslim Youth Association of Calgary. More online at coffeeandislam.ca. The big event, February 3rd, between 12 and 4, at the Batan Nur Mosque at 4353 54th Ave Northeast.